everyone. Welcome to Strong Mind, Strong Body. I'm your host, Angie Miller. Today, I have a very special guest who's going to talk about the cost of being a superhero. I don't know about you, but I've had superhero syndrome for a bit. You know that thing where you want to put other people's needs before your own, where you push yourself to do enough or be enough, where it's like you get kind of addicted to that external praise and recognition as if maybe somehow that can protect you from uncomfortable emotions. So today my guest is Booth Andrews. She's a somatic coach and she's also the host of the Freedom From Empty podcast, which I thoroughly enjoy listening to. So Booth is going to talk to you today about the cost of showing up for everyone else, but forgetting to show up for you and how sometimes that can make you kind of disconnected from your own needs and desires. And best of all, Booth to me is that person who can really help us get back in touch with vulnerability and the importance of being vulnerable to guide you to be to heal and to feel like a stronger, healthier version of you. So say no more for me, and I'm going to bring in Booth and let her introduce herself. So how you doing, Booth? I'm great, Angie. Thank you so much for having me share with your guests, with your audience today. Yes, I'm very excited to have you. So Booth and I met at a conference. I was at a permission slip conference for women and I met some amazing women and Booth was one of them. And she's also known for her Booth hugs, just in case you're wondering. And so Booth and I had a Booth hug and uh, it was it was very warm and very vulnerable. And I love that about you. So Booth, I know that first, I just kind of want you to tell us a little bit more about you and what you do. Sure. So I think, well, my name is Booth and I spend my time providing nourishing solutions to allow people to reclaim their wholeness and ultimately their potential. I learned the hard way that um, when we leave parts of ourselves behind, it comes at great cost, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I've spent about the last eight years healing and restoring my own body, mind, and soul after um, literally crashing from the sky. Uh, not literally, but I'll say figuratively crashing from the sky. It felt like I literally crashed from the sky. And really learning to heal and reclaim the parts of myself that I did not had learned with very good reasons not to show to the world, including the fact that I actually had needs like every other human being on this planet. Imagine having needs, right? I know. When you, grow up, <laughs> when you grow up with that mindset that you're supposed to fix and save everybody, you know, mm -hmm. I often say that um, sometimes I think, and I always think sometimes traditionally women, maybe midlife and beyond start to go, they start to come into their own and recognize how much of their lives have been spent running around going, are you okay? Are you okay? Because if you're okay, I'm okay. Are you sure okay? Is there anything you need? And we get into that check, check, check with everybody else as if them being okay means that we're going to be okay to where we're so externally focused on 
everyone else that we start to feel like we've, you know, peeled off all of our skin and kind of given it away. A friend of mine calls it um, a lake. Like you're a, you, you consider yourself this lake that everybody can drink from and they just mm -hmm. come and they, they drink and they drink and they drink until your lake gets empty and you don't have any more for them to drink. And sometimes that I think is when you, you hit that place where you realize yeah, I can't keep drinking because the lake is empty. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. They can't and neither can you. Yeah. Right. Right. I have to fill my lake back up. But I like that you said nursing solutions to help people kind of uh, feel like their whole selves. I like the word nourishing because it is it is about nourishing and self-compassion. Um, and kind of finding that space within yourself that says I'm important enough or I'm valuable enough to make sure that I take care of me so that I then can show up for other people. So I have to ask you, how did you get to that point where you realized that you had to take off the cape and stop being a superhero and that before you could take care of other people, you had to take care of yourself? Yeah. So I didn't actually willingly take off the cape. Um, the, I was brought to my knees. So I spent uh, a first career in a commercial real estate startup. I spent a second career as a nonprofit CEO um, doing mission-based work that I really, really believed in and cared about. And during that second career. I also had my third child, uh, lost my mother to cancer after a 13 year battle. And when my mother's cancer diagnosis actually changed from kind of a long-term cancer to an imminently terminal form, I started to have anxiety attacks. And I did not know what an anxiety attack was at the time. Um, in hindsight, I can look back and realize that my mother was the only person I told when I didn't feel like a superhero. Mm -hmm. She was the only person I showed my soft underbelly to. And so losing that lifeline, so to speak, um, it really felt like the my carefully curated life. I'd done all the things. I'd gotten an advanced degree. I was, you know, running my second company. I was a community leader. I was a triathlete. It felt like all of that was built on quicksand. Uh, it took me, my mother passed away in 2012. And other than starting some medication for depression and anxiety in the fall of 2012, uh, and also medication to help me sleep, I really, and starting therapy, I really didn't change any other behaviors. So I did start sleeping, which I had not done for several years very well, consistently. And, but I didn't change my expectations of myself and how I was going to show up in the world. And I kept pushing and I kept pushing and I would run into the wall and I would get back up and I would run into the wall and I would get back up. And then it, started to be true that I'd run into the wall and it took me longer to get back up. And maybe often running into the wall was illness. Um, the, the fall, actually the Thanksgiving after my mother's death, I had four infections at the same time. So it often showed up in the form of illness um, and an increase in what I now understand were mental health symptoms, the, the anxiety, depression, and PTSD. And I kept pushing and I kept pushing and I would run into the wall and pick myself up until I literally couldn't. 
So in the spring of 2015, I came within a couple of days of taking my own life because I felt like Dud lived 80 years in 40. I felt depleted beyond measure. I had been now struggling with poor mental health for three years. And up until that point in my life, my mind had been my tool, my weapon, my shield against the world. And really the thing that I valued and and trusted um, really more than I trusted anyone or anything else. And so losing my mind, so to speak, was perhaps the most terrifying thing you could have asked me to face beyond losing my mother. And I'd been fighting this battle and fighting this battle. And I just, I was, it's hard to describe now the level of just emptiness and hopelessness that you feel in that moment. And I told two therapists and one day I was, by this time my marriage was in trouble and I was in a one-on-one session with the marriage counselor and then my own therapist. And I told them I was done. I said, I'm done. I cannot do this anymore. I don't have anything else. And they both looked at me and said, your children will never recover if you take your own life. I guess that means I have to live. I knew enough about the trauma caused by my own childhood that I was not willing to knowingly traumatize my own children. And that was, that was the decision point. Um, It wasn't that I wanted to take off the cape. It wasn't that I asked to take off the cape. It was, I literally could not continue to function and require myself to show up in the world in the way that I always had um, and survive it. So I had to survive because I wasn't going to hurt my children that way. And I literally walked myself back um, every day since March of 2015. So almost nine years. First, I want to thank you for sharing that story. And I'm trying to hold myself together (laughs) so that I don't, um, you know, because it's, that's a, such a powerful story and such a vulnerable story. And I don't know a lot of people who are willing to come forward and share the depths of despair the way that you do. And that's what really connected me to you at the conference. And I don't think that any of us out there really realize the power of our story and helping other people if we're only willing to get vulnerable. And a couple of things that I heard in there was when you said you were getting down and then you'd get back up and get down and get back up and you were trying medication and you were trying, you know, you were going to therapy and trying to do all the things that you thought would kind of get you up. Yeah, and I was trying to fix it, trying to fix it. Right, right. <laughs> Just fix so you it. were band-aiding it, right? Yeah. And so it was yeah. like, I'm going to put a band-aid on this. I'm going to take medication. Okay, I'm going to put a band-aid on this. I'm going to sleep better. But it's always that I'm going to use my mind to mm-hmm. strategize my my existence versus yep. I'm going to tap into what's really going on here in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to feel all the feels, no matter how dark and how much despair that, that, that might bring me. And so your mental capacity you know, when you couldn't call upon that to keep keeping you up, you had to come here 
And that's yeah. what I'm hearing. It It's absolutely true. I think for me, because I had held so much at bay for so long, um, I am a survivor of childhood abuse. And because I'd held so much at, at bay for so long, for me, when the, when the emotion, when I could no longer use my mind to hold back my emotional experience and my pain, it made my, it made, I went toxic. Like I physically, like at the time I even told my, a few of my closest friends, very, most people did, had no idea what I was going, no idea what I was going through. Um, but there were a couple of people that I remember saying, it feels like my body has gone toxic. And that I think was a side effect um, of the emotions coming up and the, the unresolved trauma literally rising almost like water, like almost like you're in a flood. And I'd been holding it at bay for as long as I physically and mentally could. And then I couldn't hold it bay anymore. Now, what I want to say to your audience, because this is really, really important, is that the experience of healing from trauma and, and um, allowing ourselves to feel the things that maybe we've been holding at bay for a really long time can be titrated should be titrated it should be it can be um, we can resolve our traumatic experience without being re-traumatized in the process and i think that this because i was so reluctant and so resistant to really and, and frankly, didn't necessarily, you know, I didn't, you know, it's really easy for me to sell the story in hindsight, right? Like when you're in it, you can't necessarily see um, that you are, to your point, putting tiny bandages on a gaping wound and wondering why you don't feel better. Mm -hmm. um, but it is important for people to understand that I don't necessarily recommend that you, you know, stop stop moving and then try to sit in a room and feel all the things that you've never felt without support and titration and um, resources that allow you to stay in your window of tolerance uh, and return to a state of nervous system regulation. I'm not suggesting that anyone put themselves up against perhaps what might be a tidal wave of things that they have not faced. I think the fact, the reason I got taken by the tidal wave is because I had pushed it away for so long. Um, until my body physically could not hold it anymore. Right. It got to the breaking point. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I, I think that that's really important because a, it's important. And I, I, your message is so profound because so many times it happens where we don't recognize it until we've hit the point of no return until we are on the ground, unable to get up. And what I hear you say is <clears throat> that's a that's a heavy way to come into the experience. Yeah. Whereas by titrating, you mean that if you can get with some good resources and help, you can take it piece by piece because we have to know our level of tolerance. And there's only so much we can unpack at a time. If you exactly. consider that you've carried this backpack of stuff around your whole life and it's getting heavier and heavier and heavier, you have to be careful what you pull out. And you can only pull out a little at a time because that does exceed your level of tolerance. And then likely that's 
almost like you're you're reigniting the PTSD and the trauma response, and it just continually you're continually reliving it. Was that a was that a good way of putting it? Exactly. There's only in order for us to really re, for if we want to move unresolved trauma or stress that we've been holding in our body for a long period of time, the only way to move it is for, to literally move it in the body. Um, and for the body to metabolize it. And just like there's only, you know, for this audience, just so much, just like there's only so much as your body can metabolize in calories, right? Mm -hmm. um, or in a certain, um, say, food that isn't the healthiest in the world for you. Um, it can only metabolize a certain amount of alcohol at a time. Um, that is the same as true of trauma healing, at least in my experience, it has been, I can, you can only metabolize so much. Um, and so we don't, and we want to stay within your window of tolerance because it, you, we don't heal when we are in a dysregulated state, our bodies processes, our healing and repair processes that are innate in all of us are not available to us when our nervous system is in the state of perpetual dysregulation. So when we're in our window of tolerance, we're and so another way of saying we're regulated when we're outside of our window of tolerance, we're dysregulated, which can lead to fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And we want, but we can't heal when we're dysregulated. And so if we want to get to the place where whatever things that we've been running from pushing aside, um, EG, I, I did a bike ride with some, so I used to be an endurance athlete mm -hmm. in one season of my life. And I went on a bike ride with somebody one day and he said, you know, endurance athletes are either running towards something or away from something. And many of them are running away from something. And it rang really, really true for me. Um, whatever we've been running from for a very long time. I love the backpack analogy. Um, we've been filling up our backpack and we can unpack it. Um, and if we, but if we want to unpack it in a way that we, don't end up just stuffing it back in the backpack. Um, and it may be even getting heavier than it was the first time. Uh, we need to work through that process with the right resources and support and understanding even that we might actually feel worse before we feel better. This is something that comes up a lot with my community and my clients. They're like, you know, this, this whole feeling my emotions thing is really inconvenient. And I'm like, you are absolutely correct. It is very inconvenient. And also, so is disease. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. <clears throat> I want to first reintroduce you, Booth, and then I want to tap into something that you just said that's so powerful. So I'm talking to Booth Andrews. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body, and we are talking about... Booth is a somatic coach, and she's also the host of the Freedom From Empty podcast. We're talking about the cost of being a superhero, of showing up for everybody else, but forgetting how to show up for yourself. And you mentioned a couple of key, key points. You know, are you running to something? Or are you running away? And that's often a question I ask my clients. And it's sometimes a question that's hard for me to check in with. You know, are you going this fast because you're trying to escape 
whatever it is that you're trying to escape? Are you going this fast because you actually are trying to get somewhere? So it's almost like, are you, you know, are you being chased by your own demons and you're trying to get as far away from your demons as you can? Are you actually going toward opportunity and you actually see that opportunity as a positive thing? And I think that's hard for people to nuance sometimes, but you know, you also, um, a key point that you've really done a good job of explaining is if you go too fast too soon into lifting off some of the traumas and the things that are weighing you down, it's the number one reason that people drop out of therapy too early because it gets really ugly before it gets good. And so it's the ugliness, it's the unpleasantness, it's the facing yourself It's the recognition of all the work that you you'll need to do that makes people go, this is so flipping uncomfortable. I'm out of here. And then they go back and then they keep packing their backpack. And so I think it's important for people to realize that, that it is, if, if there's a normal, it's normal to feel worse before you feel, feel better. And if there's a normal, it's normal to feel, um, some, some darkness set in, but knowing that, you know, pretty soon there's going to be a crack in the door and a little bit of light's going to come in. And then the door is going to continue to open a little bit further. And the next thing you know, there'll come a day where you'll wake up and the sun will really be available to you. Like it's been shining the whole time, but it's almost like your light is too dim to experience that, that moment or those moments of joy. So yeah, for sure. That has, it's been my experience. It's been an observation working with other people. And I want to circle back a little bit to, you know, the, why we become superheroes, right? There's sometimes we become superheroes because we are literally running and we maybe don't even realize that we're running. I, the first time, as you mentioned, the first time I landed in therapy, I said, she asked me what my goal was. And I said, I want to get up each day drawn forward from a place of potential and hope and light and possibility, as opposed to feeling like I'm being chased from behind by a bear. Now, I was not aware that I felt like I was being chased by a bear until around the time my my mother died. Um, I wasn't aware that I had been living in fear for a good portion of my life until well into my adulthood. So sometimes we are running from things and we don't even realize that we're running. And sometimes we are chasing the things that society has told us are going to make us whole and happy and safe and content, aka successful. And there's all these varying definitions of what success is, you know, success as a as a professional, success as an entrepreneur, success as a mother, success as a woman, success as a fitness professional. You know, all of these varying external definitions of success. And we think, oh, well, if I just check all the boxes, I will, I will be content. I will feel, I will be able to feel um, calmness and presence and peace in my skin. I will feel safe. I will feel worthy. And the truth is that none of those things are true. I loved your, I loved your comment. If there's a normal, this is a normal thing that you can expect. In in, in this case, if there's a truth, none of those things are true. 
Uh, when we are chasing things from a place of external validation, one of the very first, actually, I said episode two of the Freedom from Empty podcast talks about perfectionism and about the fact that when we are operating from this place of I have to do and achieve all the things in order to be safe, whole, healthy, worthy, um, or successful, it's like trying to pour water in a bucket that has holes in the bottom. And no matter how much we pour in the top, no matter how many things we accomplish, no matter how many times we make sure that everyone around us is okay and satisfied and taken care of, um, there's always holes in the bucket. And it's draining faster than we can pour it in from the top. So I, would, I want to acknowledge that there's there's multiple ways to find ourselves in this cycle of if I just take care of everyone else and don't even get me started on the selfless mother. Um which, you know, yeah, that's all another, that's another podcast. But We're going to need of, a couple hours. Yeah. But there are lots of ways that we can find ourselves in this cycle where we are taking care of everyone else, but ourselves, where everyone else now has become accustomed to us performing at a certain level and in a certain way. And the truth is they are likely going to not like it a whole lot, or maybe not respond well when we start to have less to give, whether that's by our choice of setting boundaries or just by our lack of capacity because we can't give anything else. Um, Can I hit the pause button? Then? Please do. I want to stay with that one because that's such a pivotal, pivotal point. And I'm so glad you brought it up. Here's the thing. You're spot on. When you're a giver and, and you are constantly emptying your leg for everybody. And when you're always running around going, check, 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 are you okay? Are you okay? <clears throat> and you stop doing that and you start checking in with yourself, or maybe you do it less, or maybe you, you know, you've, you've learned what your needs are. And so you're more internally focused. It can make people very uncomfortable. People yes. who are so used to what I actually call feasting off of you, mm. people who are used to feasting off to you, which which again is like ownership and accountability on us because we have kind of invited that narrative into our world and gotten everyone accustomed to being able to feast. But when they stop being able to feast and when you become a little bit vulnerable and you start to express your needs or you start to pull back out of self-preservation, those who are closest to you might be the ones while you might expect them to show up because you're thinking, well, I've always shown up for them, it might go the opposite way. And that's a really uncomfortable feeling to have those people that you've always shown up for kind of run off and kind of scatter and be like, oh, no, I, I this is uncomfortable. The narrative is supposed to be, I need you, you show up for me, not you need me. I don't even know how to play that role. Yeah, That's you can I mean. almost think about it as like, you know, even like neural pathways, right? The neural pathway only runs one, one direction, like you giving to them. And so when you do start to shift your behavior, um, again, whether out of necessity or just an awareness that you can't continue down the path you're on, um, there's not a pathway that comes back. It hasn't been built. And there are people who will be able to walk that journey with you. And it is also true that there are people who will not be able to walk that journey with you. 
because whether they ha don't have the interest or the capacity to build a pathway the other direction when they've always been the receiver in in the dynamic. Yeah. And and to your point, it's it's also kind of what I said. It's it's it may not be that they don't have the capacity. It may be that we taught them that they don't need to have that capacity. Right. There may us. even be a like a learned helplessness. Right. Right. I mean, we have been so codependent or so building these relationships where we feel worthy by being needed by them that to flip that switch is, is, you know, we're going through our learning for everyone. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's just, it's too much of a narrative disruption for everyone. Yeah. And so, um, I think that's such a powerful point. The other thing that you brought up is, you know, when you, you first went to therapy, you said, I want to wake up with the idea that I am looking at possibility and potential, not the idea that I'm trying to run away. You know, in other words, I want to get out of fight or flight. I want to stop feeling so much fear and anxiety. And that's a big thing to unpack. And that's a process. And so Indeed. I think that the key here is letting everyone who's listening know that you don't have to be a superhero forever. You can take your cape off but you're going to have to take it off slowly and you're going to need a lot of really good help. And, and I hope that we have invited you to recognize that the people in your corner, it doesn't mean that they don't love you. It may not even mean that they don't want to show up for you. It just means that they have not been given the tools or had the opportunity to learn the tools on how to do that. And so I always say, look, if you have to pay for support, pay for support. I mean, some of the best support I've ever had has been support I paid for, and I'm proud of it, yeah. right? Because those are the people who have outside perspective and expertise. For sure. Yeah. I think the one of the things that I have observed in my own journey is that if we open ourselves to the opportunity that things can be different, we don't have to know how they're going to be different. We we don't necessarily even have to 100% believe that it's possible. But even if we just crack that door open a little bit, what if there is a different way of being that is possible for me? What if there is a different way of engaging with the demands on my time and energy um, than the way that I'm engaging with those things now? When we open ourselves to the possibility and make a decision that we are going to open up our, our view and our perspective and our horizon looking for resources that might help us take the first step. Right? Not all the steps. We don't even have to know what all the steps are. Um, but take the first step. What I have found in my own life is that next resource seems to bubble up. Right? It'll it'll hit the, the awareness, my horizon. It'll hit my awareness. I'll, I'll see something like, hmm, maybe that's a thing. Maybe that's a piece. Um, and so the most important part of this journey is to consider the possibility and to choose to begin. Hmm. And, and, and it's so important for people to know that they don't have to do this alone and that the people around them may not be the most supportive in the short term. Um, but there are a host of resources out there. Um, you know, one of the reasons I've chosen somatics as my own path is because it has been such a powerful resource for me. Um, and that's a large field of, of resources and study, but 
there is healing possible. There is a different way of being possible. It is showing up in the world as the most nourished and supported version of yourself is possible. So as you listen to this, if you're considering that idea um, and willing to even let it flicker in your mind, start looking for resources and solutions that might come your way that might help you take that first step. You know, you just wrapped up my show. <laughs> I was you, I tried. You, I'm watching did, the timer. <laughs> you did a beautiful job. You know, I'm going to I'm going to put that out there one more time just going with the idea that things can be different. You don't have to know how, you don't have to know where to begin, but you do you could just wake up one day and say, what if things could be different? And what could that look like? And maybe that ignites a lot of fear in you. But just imagine the empowerment of even being able to invite that question into your space and being able to even consider it as a possibility. And so Booth Andrews, you have been a light for me and I know for anyone who is listening to this episode. And I would like to wrap up and just give everyone an opportunity if they want to reach out to you, how can they connect with you? Sure. Um, you can follow me on the podcast at the Freedom From Empty podcast. Uh, boothandrews.com is my website. Um, lots of, I have a newsletter subscription available there. And then if you have specific questions that you'd like to send my way, feel free to email hello at boothandrews.com. And I will be happy to follow up with you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank, Thank you, you for, for the yeah. Thank you for being willing to be vulnerable, and um, and I think that that vulnerability will invite a lot of other people into the possibility that there is possibility out there. So thanks to all of our strong mind, strong body listeners. I appreciate you joining us today, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.